Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sapphire Wire podcast. I'm Lisa Johnston. And I'm Kyle Johnston. And today we're going to focus on the governor's race in Kansas and a lot of the recent developments. And we'd be remiss if we didn't start with Strippergate, (laughs) this controversy that sprang up over the weekend. So as I understand it, the Coffeyville paper originally reported on this which is a very small town Uh, i think they print their paper about twice a week and it is only printed there is no online edition and they're in southeastern kansas that's correct yeah so they came out with this story about years ago back in 98 paul davis apparently was at a strip club that was raided uh, in a meth bust of some kind at that point and so they ran the story about it and then originally i guess the davis campaign didn't really respond to it and then it was yeah and i don't know if it really was in the news at all until it was picked up by politico which is a pretty well-read news organization of course and that's when the story really started gaining some traction so the the way this is kind of rolled out is a little fishy to me like i don't know why a coffee bill newspaper would suddenly pick up this story they had to do an open records request to the local uh, police department or sheriff's office to even get a record of this and then why politico would pick up a story from a printed coffee bill paper that's printed twice a week is also a little questionable well so i know why politico picked it up there's probably some things going on behind the scenes that you know, it seems kind of obvious that that's the case, but who knows? I mean, this is just too juicy not to go national. Certainly. Of course, of course, Politico's yeah. going to pick it up. And and that's the thing that's unfortunate about it for the Davis campaign is this is the kind of thing that people, it's seedy, it's the kind of thing that people remember, it's the kind of thing that people like to talk about around the water cooler. It's easy to share on social media, it makes you laugh, makes you cringe. Yeah, or some combination or something else, yeah. So uh, it's it was kind of unfortunate. Now, what I don't know is, you know, like you say, maybe the Brownback campaign was somehow behind this. There's no way to prove that. It's hard to know if there was maybe just a Brownback supporter in Coffeeville who knew that this happened, Perhaps, was, yeah. you know, at the club or heard about it back then and thought, ooh, this would be a good thing to, like, bring to light to try to, you know, put a black mark on Davis's campaign. So there's been so much discussion. It's been covered, obviously, nationally, as we talked about, not only in newspapers and online, but uh, on television programs as well. Now, there's always this debate in politics about whether or not this has any relationship on someone's ability to lead or ability to govern. Okay, so objectively, I would say the same thing that I said about, you know, the mess that Clinton got himself into with Monica Lewinsky. Objectively, yes, it doesn't have any connection to the actual activities that one is going to be doing in their job. It's something that happened in a person's personal life. So I'll concede that point. Uh, And in this case, obviously, when Clinton had his issue, that was while he was president. And this was, as people are pointing out, a very long time ago. Yeah, I think he was 26 at the time, unmarried, 
just a, a young attorney. Right, not even serving in the legislature <laughs> at that his, point. Serving his clients, according to him. Right, right. So so I think that those those are all good points. Now, the downside is, in Kansas, uh, you know, there are a lot of folks in Kansas that tend to be extremely religious or focused on morality. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if you look across the country, we might be a little higher on that bar than some other states. And then, of course, there was the response to the incident that I think people have talked a lot about how well that was or was not handled. Because initially there was no response until it got a lot of attention. Yeah, and then his response was basically, uh, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think the full statement indicated and. Uh, that he was not arrested. He was simply questioned at the time um, in his telling that he was there uh, because this owner of the strip club who was selling meth on the side was a client of his law firm's, so he was there on a a client visit and uh, just happened to be there, again, like he said, at the wrong place at the wrong time, but um, didn't really go beyond that at all, which is which I've seen uh, online and on social media has upset some people. The fact that he's kind of not um, just that that response seems kind of flat, right? Or falling flat with people. Well, and I think he didn't w- he didn't want to delve into it too much. I yeah, mean, he definitely. wanted it to go away, and yeah. so I think he just wanted to put something quick out and hope that it would <laughs> that it would like go past and they could move beyond it. But the the part of uh, the more extensive statement that I've seen was that he said that he was, quote, taken to the strip club by his boss, and it was a club of yeah. a legal client. And so it almost creates this idea that, oh, here's here's poor little Paul Davis, young lawyer who was, like, taken to this club, and it almost creates this idea that here he is in the club, sitting in a corner looking over legal documents, drinking a club soda with lime or something, and then the police just bust in, and there he is, you know, just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, now, but if you read the sheriff's report, I think it was around midnight. He was in shorts and a you know polo shirt or something, which and... is what everyone wears to a legal meeting, of <laughs> yeah. course. And he had a stripper on his lap, uh, topless, but wearing a g-string. So in the back <laughs> private room or whatever. So I don't know with with those types of clients, maybe your meeting times are a little unusual, but that, <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem like a good time for an official meeting. Right. So I I feel like the statement was uh, a little bit dismissive and didn't quite capture the full extent of what happened. So, okay, he's a single guy in his mid-20s, and now there's been a lot of activity on Twitter. And actually, this has been part of what's been most irritating to me personally, (laughs) is that there are all these tweets from guys, it's sort of this, yeah, right, locker room kind of BS where they're saying, hey, that's okay, or that makes him more likable, or I wouldn't trust a guy who didn't go to a strip club. And I'm like, what? (laughs) I mean, I know, okay, I know it's a thing that a lot of guys do, especially when they're young. But I had an exchange with someone on Twitter where I was saying, yeah, I've seen a lot of these tweets from guys, but You'll notice there aren't a bunch of supportive tweets from women. I haven't seen any. Yeah, and I specifically tried to search for even one and really couldn't find anything. Now, the guy I was talking to 
he seemed to be insinuating he thought it was a a generational issue and that all the younger gals thought it was great or okay or something but you know my opinion is that even though as we said earlier objectively okay yes objectively I'll concede that this was a long time ago and technically in terms of the duties that you perform in public office doesn't relate to whether or not you could effectively perform duties but there's part of being a leader which is the image that you have and convey sure. and whether or not people feel positively about you whether or not people feel good about you as a leader and I would say that this does have an impact on his image I mean even I as a somewhat liberal person socially uh, felt a little bit uh, negative or awkward hearing it even though it was a long time ago and all that and so I do think as I've said in my comments on Twitter, I think it hurts him with women, especially unaffiliated women or Republican women who are planning to vote for him, especially yeah. if they're also um, very religious individuals. I think that that's going to put those folks in a real quandary. And I'm going to be real interested to see what happens with the next round of polling because I think it could erode some of the lead he's had. Yeah, I think in the last several polls, Davis has been at least a few points ahead, if not more. Um, so the next poll, which should be out maybe later this week or early next week, uh, will be pretty telling in terms of what kind of impact this is going to have. Like you say, uh, Republicans who may be unhappy with Brownback um, uh, may go back to Brownback because they're you know they're they don't like him, but this would be an example of, you know, these heathen Democrats and just showing mm -hmm. their true colors. And so, you know, it's it's going to be the same old story for them. And sadly, it also plays into the stereotype that people have about Lawrence. Like, it's this town of heathens, you know. <laughs> and so, since he's from Lawrence, that unfortunately dovetails very nicely. And going back for a second to this idea that there is some large group of women who supports strip clubs or guys going to strip clubs i frankly don't buy that <laughs> i think that the proportion of women who are in favor of strip clubs is a very small minority of women i think there are two groups of women that probably make up the majority of women on this there are some women who are vehemently opposed to it and find it completely distasteful um, and then i think that there are some who don't really love it, but they kind of bite their tongue and accept it as a reality of what some guys do. And in my view, I would say that makes up the vast, vast majority of women, probably sure. 75 to 80 percent at least. And then, you know, you have this smaller slice of the pie. But what I want to know is how many women are like, yay, pro strip club that aren't either current or former employees of strip clubs. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest part of the demographic. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just out of touch with all these pro strip club ladies, but... <laughs> I've never run across any of them. And, you know, going back to the issue of leadership and your image and how people perceive you, it's one thing to say, you know, well, why are you making a big deal about this? It's something that a lot of people do. But people don't want the lowest common denominator in their leadership. They don't want, you know, just just anybody doing 
any kind of behavior. They whether you think it's right or wrong, yeah. people hold candidates to public office to this higher ideal or higher standard, and then when they get crestfallen and disappointed when they find out, oh, people ha- aren't really measuring up to what I thought they would be. Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And the responses have been very bifurcated. Of course, the Kansas GOP is trying to say, there's this giant pattern, because he had that issue with the ad. Yeah. Uh, The unfortunate issue where he had hired someone who had kind of a checkered, uh, (laughs) the way they painted it, sexual deviant past. Uh, and they had to pull that ad. And so then now, on the heels of that, they have this issue yeah. with Strippergate, uh, for lack of a better thing to call it. So I, I think that they better hope that nothing else like this comes out because yeah. it's going to be a real problem if yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, something like this uh, coming out kind of this early, you know, it's, you know, we're not that far out from Election Day, but it's relatively early in the cycle um that would suggest that maybe there's an october surprise winning we'll see yeah um the other thing that i the other angle i found interesting about this is that typically um in in pr thinking if you want to bury a story and really not get it picked up in the news cycle you release it on a friday uh that's going into the weekend uh people are going out you know enjoying the weather uh doing weekend activities whatever and so they're not really paying attention to the news um but this, for whatever reason, probably because of the sexual angle, uh, oh, yeah. really really took off and, and gained some traction. And then even some national figures picked up on it over the weekend. I again, I think those you know they were probably seated or prodded or you know encouraged to talk about the story. Well, Grover Norquist yeah, exactly. brought it up on Meet the Press exactly. twice. If you can plant the seed, then maybe the rumor mill starts spinning and the the story twists and turns, and all of a sudden he was arrested for dealing meth or something. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see how it develops. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, it, it's very clear that he wasn't arrested for anything. Exactly. So that part is very clear. But the fact that he is now being talked about in conjunction with something that people feel is seedy or distasteful, at least some proportion of people, and there's debate about how many there are. Um, the the other thing that's come up um, in media coverage and on Twitter is, oh, I think this makes him more relatable or more likable. Come on. Really? I mean, I understand they're trying to take lemons and make lemonade. Yeah. But um, no, if they had the ability to choose this not to have happened or this to happen, they would totally choose for it not to have happened. Yeah, and they have been um, kind of trying to deal with it by focusing on, you know, Brownback's current issues. So he's kind of uh, put the state in a bad way with the budget and his tax cuts, and uh, he has some issues on education that Davis is asking him to address. So they're really trying to lean into that and call into question, you know, Brownback's fitness to serve based on, on kind of what he's done in his term in the current day but again, it's it's just really hard to overcome that kind of soundbite of a story that's very shareable with some kind of policy minutia right. that really people aren't going to kind of bite into. Well, and like I've said, with you know the policy wonk discussions, not that it's not valid and not that those aren't good points, but lots of people aren't as tuned in or informed about that. And when you start 
getting into those details, they hear like Charlie Brown's mom. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. They don't really process it. But when you talk about somebody with a stripper on their lap, everybody's <laughs> radar goes up and yeah. they're like totally tuned into it. So sadly, that's how things work. So we'll see how this plays out and we'll see what happens when the new polls come out. But um, as I said... If you could choose, they would have definitely chosen for this not to have come out, despite the fact some people are saying this makes him, quote, relatable. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Let's talk about the debate uh, at the end of last week that the candidates had in Overland Park. And this one was a little bit different in that we saw the first appearance of Keen Umber, who is the libertarian candidate for governor who was on the stage with Brownback and Davis. So it was in some ways uh, similar themes, I thought, to the state fair debate, although uh, the audience was much more sedate. You didn't have the cowbells and the screaming and yelling. (laughs) But I'm going to start with an optic on this because it's an issue for me. Um, We watched it online because it wasn't televised. But before the televised debate, the Davis campaign must invest in some makeup <laughs> for Paul Davis. And why is that? Uh, it's because he looked like Richard Nixon. He was sweating <laughs> profusely. And there are powder foundations out there that will mask and correct that. So they really need to deal with that. Because even though I understand that's just something that you can't always control and different people perspire more than others, it it's an optic that makes a difference, just like it did in the 60s exactly. for Nixon. So please get some makeup for Paul. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so in terms of the substance, it was interesting because, as usual, Davis was trying to hammer Brownback on the fact that he's not been funding education properly and irresponsible on tax policy. Uh, a lot of the similar themes that we saw in the state fair debate. And one of the retorts well, that Brownback had, he actually had two. One was he was leaning into the local option budget that got passed because, of course, Johnson County has wanted more local option budget flexibility for a very long time. Exactly. They, it seemed like they were um, both pandering to the Johnson County crown yeah. during the debate. And so... He was saying, David vote, Davis voted against the local option budget, and, you know, I signed that into law. And so Davis never really dealt with that very effectively, because the reason he didn't vote for it is because teacher tenure was included in the bill. Yeah. And so he just said, well, they were trying to take a cheap shot at teachers, but he didn't specifically mention and defend tenure, because he knows a lot of people aren't for it. So yeah. he kind of ran away from why he voted against that a little bit. But that's another one of those tricky issues where the soundbite is he voted against this, but you know he had a good reason for voting against it, and he, he shouldn't have voted for it, uh, right. given the, the teacher tenure issue. So, But it's again, it's, it's kind of hard to parse those details with the voters because you know the attention span's not there, the level of interest kind of falls off pretty quickly when you start delving into the details of these issues. And so he's kind of, you know, maybe losing points on some of these types of things. Well, and this gets into one of the problems I have with the way people run, uh, because they run in kind of a scared fashion where they're just 
trying not to upset the apple cart. And so rather than being passionate and defending, yes, I voted against it because you tried to take away teacher tenure. And, you know, that's an important thing. He wasn't willing to do that because he knows a lot of people aren't in favor of it. And so this is the problem that I and I think a lot of people have with politicians. They're not willing to be courageous and stand up for what's right and say, yeah, I voted against it because you stuck this piece of crap in there, you know, and really lean into it because he doesn't want anybody to not like what he's saying. And there's a good possibility on an issue like that, you know, the the people that may not be happy with his position on the issue would kind of respect the fact that he's clearly stating, you know, his, his stance and his opinion and, uh, and, and people really just want to hear why, you know, why a, uh, their politician or representative is voting a certain way. And right. th- they'll respect you if you tell them the truth and you're straightforward with them. And especially on an issue like that, you're not going to find many one-issue voters who are really focused on uh, teacher tenure. So, you know, even people... <laughs> Except that, maybe teachers, exactly, and usually they maybe, want it. yeah. So even the people that maybe disagree with his position on that issue are going to say, well, that's that's going to cost, you know, my vote for Davis. So right. to, and, in my mind, he doesn't have anything to lose by kind of standing his ground and, and stating exactly. his on the issue. And so other than politicos who were very tuned into that whole thing and knew exactly what Davis was talking about, and I knew what he was talking about because I followed it. But most people are like, when he says that he, that the governor took a cheap shot at teachers, they're not going to know what that means. Yeah. So that's going to be confusing to a lot of people. And then the other thing that I thought was a good piece of messaging, sadly, for Brownback was he kept saying, Davis is talking about your money, but not your schools, kind of mm-hmm. leaning into this fact that he wants to take your tax dollars and spread it around the state. Yeah. And so he just kept leaning into that over and over and over again. And so Davis, I I can't remember if he addressed it in the debate, but they've certainly been trying to lean into it this week is uh, they've been trying to kind of push the idea of brownbacks in favor of school consolidation. So obviously that's not a popular issue with schools, you know, west of our metropolitan area in Kansas City, uh, justifiably. And, and really, again, that's not something that seems to be gaining a lot of traction. Maybe it is amongst, uh, you know, residents in those areas, but it's certainly, again, not going to show up in the news cycle anytime soon. Certainly the problem, not the national news cycle. The problem is they are coming at this from a defensive or huh-uh position because yeah. Brownback branded Davis as the consolidation candidate mm-hmm. in the state fair debate, mm-hmm. bringing up John Vrattle and the statement that he'd made years ago about the possibility of rural school consolidation. And so now they're going, huh, it's you. And that's always the worst position <laughs> to be in when yeah. you've been labeled or branded as the consolidation person, and then you're trying to scramble to point your finger the other direction. And so it's like we talked about last time, there gets into this whole business of the he said, he said Mm -hmm. uh, part of the debate, and unless people are engaged politicos or policy wonks, they're not going to know what's factual, and so that's a problem. So before we finish, though, I do want us to talk about Keen Umber, who was some comic relief, if nothing else, in the debate. Uh, that sort of livened it up in some ways. He was uh, certainly a little bit more direct and not as polished on some of the responses he gave. He called people tax slaves, which I thought was amusing. <laughs> yeah, I used that quite a bit. And, 
you know, it was interesting because he had it, I thought, half right when he was talking about economic growth and development because he kept leaning into the fact that people need more money in their pockets and that that's how you grow business in the economy because if people have money and can spend money, they will do that and businesses will grow and prosper and be able to hire more employees. Yeah. Totally agree with that point. He's absolutely right. But then he like went to Disasterville by talking about fair tax and he's like, Mr. <laughs> fair tax. And it's like, we need a 5.7% consumption tax. And we'll have to do a whole podcast sometime because this is something, as you know, I feel super passionately about. <laughs> Because that word fair, fair tax is anything but fair. Because when you think about it, most lower to middle income people have to spend all of their income to cover their expenses, which means they would pay 5.7% on everything versus people who are very wealthy don't need to spend all the money they make usually to cover their expenses. And so they would pay a very marginal fractional percent of tax on their income. And so it's a total gift to extremely wealthy people to implement a fair tax. <laughs> I was doing a little math before the podcast, and I don't remember how much money Mitt Romney makes each year, but I was just using $10 million as like a ballpark figure. So if you have somebody like Mitt Romney or some other wealthy person who's making $10 million in a year, but they only need 300000 to cover their expenses that they're actually spending money on, then they pay tax with, under the Keenum Bear fair tax system here. They'd pay 5.7% on that 300000 And so when you figure up how much of a percentage of the total $10 million that is, it's 0.1%, a tenth of 1%. So somebody very wealthy could pay a tenth of a percent of tax while somebody who was lower to middle income pays 5.7%. That's a bunch of crap. <laughs> so we'll we'll explore that on a, another podcast and delve into <laughs> the myriad problems with the fair tax another time. Okay, so I think that wraps up our two governor's topics for this week. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll talk with you next week. Thanks.